Hey, chiropractors and marketers, we are ready for another modern chiropractic marketing show with Dr. Kevin Christie, where we discuss the latest in marketing strategies, content marketing, direct response marketing, and business development with some of the leading experts in the industry. Hey, chiropractors, welcome to another episode of the Modern Chiropractic Marketing Show. Today, I'm bringing you an interview with Dr. Mark King of Motion Palpation Institute, and he has his own private practice in Cincinnati, Ohio. He has been since uh, probably try three in 2003 for me at Logan, uh, one of my mentors. And, um, you know, I followed that path of motion palpation early on in school, and I followed it since school, and I've been lucky enough to co-present with Dr. King, play golf with him, have dinner, just get to know him over the years. And he's definitely the epitome of having a successful practice with a purpose, doing it the right way, and having a growth mindset throughout the years. He's been doing this for some time now and really has not uh, let up on the gas and is doing a ton for his community and uh, for the profession. He is the uh, president of Motion Palpation and is doing a, a wonderful job with uh, young students and, and young chiropractors and uh, even uh, you know experienced chiropractors like myself. So he's always a, a voice of reason and someone I can always chat with and it's been very helpful. So I know you're going to enjoy this episode and we dive into some very useful information. Before we go, let's um, chat about our wins, obstacles, and Facebook highlight. Uh, the win that we've had this past week is we had a couple Instagram influencers come into our practice and share stories of their experience uh, in our office. And and one of them has, uh, believe it or not, 1.7 million followers on Instagram. And she's local here in, in South Florida. And then the other one is like in the hundreds of thousands as well. And they both shared stories on that and noticed an uptick in our uh, requests and followings and things of that nature. So they're going to do some work with us and be part of our sports recovery ambassadors and get some treatment. And, uh, you know, they're going to share stories while they're in here. And it's a really uh, helpful aspect of marketing. I know back in late December, early January, one of my intentions was to get better at Instagram and I'm still nowhere near being great at it, but this is one step closer to helping that process for us. So uh, that was our uh, big win for the week. The obstacle is it's a it's actually an obstacle that is developing from an opportunity to where in the UK they're requiring their employers to provide ergonomic self assessments for their employees, and it's called DSE, which is Display Screen Evaluations. And basically, anybody that sits at a computer needs to have this. And so the company that we work with, World Fuel Services is having that requirement and they're having us build that out, but it's a new platform I have to build out. And the obstacle is right now is the cost from the developer. So I am working through that. So this is one of those ones where I will rely heavily on Christine, who is my financial person for my business and personal, and start to weigh the pros and cons of the cost of the development of it versus the potential profits. Um, I don't care about the revenue. It's always about profit. And then some of the other things, like one of the thought processes in my head was, is that this will really lock me in with the yearly subscription with World Fuel Services that I do have if I can land this aspect of it. So maybe it's not just purely profits in this particular aspect, but it's also 
longevity of this contract I have with them. So that's an obstacle that I am trying to figure out. But uh, yeah, as you'll know, you know, sometimes really good opportunities, they, they present a few obstacles, but you got to overcome those obstacles to bear the fruit of it. So that's our uh, weekly obstacle. Facebook highlights, someone had posted in there about preventing missed appointments. And I know that's always a concern for all of us in the healthcare industry, and especially as chiropractors, it's not ideal to have a lot of drop-offs. And so we want to limit that. And some of the answers that were given uh, were really good. And then I'm going to highlight one that I liked a lot, but some of the basics, you know, confirm your patients on the schedule for the next day. Uh, the last one I talk about will be a good qualifier for that one. So I'll, I'll go back to that. Text reminders, email reminders, a lot of these softwares that we're using now have those abilities. We implement that. Make sure you're doing that. Someone mentioned prepays, which is actually a good idea. As you'll hear in this episode with Dr. Mark King, we talk about care plans, you know, nothing crazy, long, out of the ordinary, but you know, I, I do it. If someone's got a treatment plan of two times a week for four weeks, then I will, um, you know, offer them a potential to, to do a prepay and that will give them the incentive to actually follow through with their treatment plan. Demand force is another one a couple people mentioned, and they're getting good results with that. I'm not extremely familiar with it, but it's something to potentially look into. The topic of no-show fee is a little controversial, and it was on that thread as far as the pros and cons of that, but that is an option for you. And then lastly, I liked what Dr. David Graber had mentioned, and I'm just going to read the, the post and this is from Dr. Graber. I found that stratifying patients into three types and using a different strategy for each helps. One, conscientious. They make appointments in advance, show up on time or early, and insist that you honor their time by running on time. No problem here unless you are more than occasionally backed up. Two is drive-by. They don't like or can't keep appointments or prefer not to be locked into another time commitment no judgment. These people are not scheduled, just told office hours and told to call or walk in anytime during them. If your schedule can't handle walk-ins, obviously take that into consideration. And then three is manageable. Use multiple visit cards or Google calendar. Do reminder calls, text, emails, cards for appointments over one week out. So try to manage those ones as well. So I've had that conversation with my staff. It's like, look, we kind of know which ones are an issue. You know, if a new patient schedules online for a week out and it's the day before and they didn't fill out the online medical records, like that's a patient we need to call, confirm them or get them off the schedule. Um, you'll start to know your schedule and the ones that are problems. And so you might have to take the extra step to get that squared away. All right. So that is our little introduction. And now without further ado, here's my interview with Dr. Mark King. All right. Welcome to the show, Dr. Mark King. I really appreciate your time today. Before we dive into it, let's hear a little bit about yourself personally and professionally. Well, um, I was kind of that um, crazy kid in high school who was into nutrition and I was an athlete and kind of started getting into that kind of natural health thing on early on, you know, wouldn't eat the school lunches and um, was selling vitamins at school and, and, you know, kind of just an odd kid that way, I guess. And uh, didn't know if I wanted to pursue chiropractic at the time because didn't know a ton about it and didn't even know if I was good at sciences at that point. So finally started taking some classes and and liking them and doing well in them. So I went through undergrad and was a basketball player and then went to chiropractic school. And uh, after chiropractic school, my wife and I started our practice together about 30, 31 years ago in Cincinnati together. And 
And then we've just grown it from there. We have a family together, four kids. And now we have, there's a total of eight chiropractors. There's uh, three DPTs. There's a, a licensed acupuncturist. And there's a nurse practitioner who does functional medicine for us. So we have a nice holistic mix here under under one roof. And um, we're still growing and still working hard at it. You know, and I think that's one of the things that I've always admired. Believe it or not, it's been about 14 years since I've been in school when I first we first wow. met. And you're always growing. You're always trying to grow. You're not just, uh, you know, resting on your laurels. And I know your practice that you just described now is a lot more than it was back then. And even back then, it was pretty big. So. Yes. Yeah. Well, you know, you kind of either you're either growing or you're shrinking. There's not much. And I I like the excitement of always trying to get better. And, and you know, it's one of the reasons I like being around the young chiropractors. You know, they're, you know, always teaching you new good things. Mm-hmm. I just like to learn more and I like to continue to try and improve. I still feel like I have a lot of learning to do. Yeah, and that's one thing that I've tried to live by is there's always learning. And obviously, I am I think I'm 13, 14 years into it now and I'm always trying to learn more. Uh, you have obviously have your pulse on the profession and the student body and the kind of the young doctors and the seasoned veterans and, and all that. Uh, what's got you most excited presently as far as how the profession's going? Well, I guess the biggest thing is that, you know, the research that's being done now, even though we're using pennies on research compared to uh, medicine using dollar bills, but uh, still what is getting done in our world from a research standpoint, boy, it sure supports what we do. And more and more evidence is saying that this conservative approach is where it's at. And that's just very exciting for me. The world needs our conservative care. The obvious big thing in the press now is the opioid crisis, but you know, we've done too many surgeries over the years and, uh, you know, had bad results with them. And people uh, are learning that, you know, maybe they try to avoid it, what, whether it's back surgery or, you know, a meniscus, a degenerative meniscus tear and a, with a DJD in the knee is not necessarily a great idea to rush into a, a knee surgery, especially if you're over age 50. You know, it speeds up that path toward a knee replacement. So, you know, from a cost standpoint, we're just so much more effective with our conservative care. And, and that really runs a little bit counter to the profit-driven healthcare system the way it is now. I mean, if you're a hospital and you're doing back surgeries and making tens of thousands of dollars versus a chiropractor or physical therapist, acupuncturist, et cetera, who can do it for way less and keep people out of surgery, that's a little bit of a disincentive for the hospitals to use conservative care. So it's a it's a weird, it's a weird spot from that standpoint. But you know, you kind of feel like truth is going to win out. And the truth is, is that conservative care is where it's at for the majority of of conditions, uh, clearly not all conditions, but but for the majority of conditions. So I love where we're going from that standpoint as a profession. I think we're, uh, the future's bright. I know there's pitfalls and I know people complain. I know students are borrowing too much money coming out of school. So I know there are lots of pitfalls. But I do know that conservative care is where it's at long term. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And I had a a refreshing cup of coffee with an orthopedic surgeon last week. He's younger. He's probably in his early 30s, just getting out. And a lot of what you just said is a lot of what he's abiding by as a surgeon. I mean, he's doing knees, shoulders, and he's doing a fair amount still. Being in South Florida, we get a lot of knee and shoulder work because of the uh, elderly people and active people down there. Mm-hmm. But he drew a lot of hard lines uh, as far as when and when not to do this type of stuff. And and doing a lot of conservative. Now, 
they have on-site physical therapy, and so he said they're utilizing that a lot more than they than they used to. So maybe the younger orthopedists are, are coming out with more of that mentality that you mentioned. Well, I had lunch with a PM&R doc a couple of years ago talking about, I was confused about them doing so many epidurals when the results were not particularly good for epidurals routinely. They're, the results are not that great for any kind of long-term resolution. And and he said, well, it's simple. You know, they're making a lot of money on them. They're going to milk that until they get forced to quit doing them. Yeah. And now in my town, Cincinnati, Ohio, they're doing less and less of them because they're getting paid less and less by the insurance carriers. And, um, you know, the evidence is overwhelming that that's not a great first look is to start shooting an epidural because they, um, you know, the clinical results are not great. And they're, they historically have been very expensive. And now I guess they're beginning to clamp down on them. It's funny how that works, right? Boy, they really follow the money trail. <laughs> I know we can be guilty of that in our profession as well in the past sure, and absolutely and presently, but uh, that's, a, that's a good point there. And, you know, I wanted to to thank you before we got any further because I was kind of, you know, I think I was probably try three at Logan before I ran into MPI. And uh, before that, I definitely came from an athletic background like you. I was at Florida State doing a lot of um, strength conditioning work with the athletes. And I wanted to do that. And when I got to Logan, I kind of got early on a little jaded because I wasn't sure what the heck I was doing there and, and why. But then when I got introduced uh, I think it was by Mark Hawkins um, to MPI. That's really what got me on the right path, and and I, I wanted to thank you for that. Yeah, Mark Hawkins is still going strong. He's uh, I, he was just up in Cincinnati doing. We were doing a DNS class together, and uh, he's just still sharp as ever and and doing great. Yeah, he is. He him and I still maintain a really good friendship, and I've always uh, looked looked to him for a voice of reason in a lot of things as well. He's clinically sound, and he's just one of those guys that. Uh, you can rely on and it's been been helpful yeah it's that gold standard as you know would you send your mother to him and you, you know you would you know he'd do his best to try and help your family members yeah. so it's, it's a great compliment absolutely and you know one of the things i remember and i wanted to ask you about a little bit he thanks you a lot and i know ryan house did as well as far as getting them up and going with some of the work you did helping them along and coaching are you still uh, working with chiropractors in that capacity you know, I kind of ran out of minutes. Yeah. I have guys that I certainly talk to and, and try and help, but I don't do it in a formal basis and I don't do it as a contract like I did for a little while there. I was trying to help these guys and I'm still very interested in the clinical end. I'm still very involved with MPI and teaching with them. And so I just was kind of running out of minutes and I had to pick something to cut. I just, yeah. And so I, I was more in love with the clinical, more in love with the uh, MPI stuff. So I, I kind of went that direction and that's what I've been doing the last I don't know, number of years. I don't want to, I don't know how many time flies, maybe four or five years. Yeah. I mean, obviously what you do with MPI and what you do for the students and, and even the graduates teaching that has kind of a wider range or a, a wider net to cast on helping the profession out. Right. Right. Yeah. Actually, I was just in uh, Kansas City. I don't know if you heard about the Forward KC event, but sure. yeah, I heard there was a big event there. I didn't go to it, but uh, was it good? It was it was phenomenal, and it was all around evidence-based, and uh, Len Fay made an appearance and, and talked, and so it was uh, really good. And the one thing that I noticed was a lot of the students that were there, that especially the Cleveland, you know, obviously there was a lot of Cleveland students there because that's where it was held, but then from mm -hmm. Logan and others, a lot of MPI reps and a lot of MPI-based uh, uh, doctors, so that was pretty cool. Yeah, I, the evidence-based thing is uh, naturally – attractive to us because, you know, 
it makes sense to us and to, you know, kind of to our scientific brain. And, and the evidence is growing for us. Like I was saying earlier that, you know, the research is pointing more and more in our direction. I, you know, I like the phrase evidence informed better, but to the point it's, you know, we're naturally going to be guys. A lot of the MPI kind of people are going to be drawn to a group like that forward thinking because of the evidence based. And I just don't want people to forget about the art of, healthcare and being a healer. And not everything is evidence-based. Uh, you know, some things have to be tried clinically and then researched and eventually become evidence-based, but they have to start somewhere kind of thing. Yeah. And that actually is a good point. And it's starting to use, people are using that term more. And even Greg Rose, the, the TPI founder, who's a chiropractor by, sure. by trade, a big part of his presentation, his keynote was on that. And he basically said, if you were evidence-based, you might be three years behind what's actually working because of the time it takes for these studies to come out and stuff like that. So if you're more evidence informed, he used another word that was basically a synonym for evidence informed to where it's guiding you in the right direction. But so that's a good distinction to make. So thank you. All right. So I know that you've obviously built a, a very successful practice and it's been something to always strive for my end of things. And I know you've helped a lot of chiropractors out, but uh, if you had to kind of narrow it down, because obviously we could probably speak for a couple hours on what it takes to to grow a successful practice, but what are a few that really you know stick out to you that a chiropractor can be doing or should be doing to achieve some success? Well, we talk about this all the time at MPI, and uh, Brett Winchester talks about it a lot, and that's the um, that phrase is passion and certainty that you know that you have the passion for this work. This is not just a job for me. I you know I've kind of bought into the lifestyle of it all. I like, I, you know, for me, it's just, it's much more than just a job or a career. For me, it's like a much more like a calling, so to speak. Um, that, that, that you see a lot of these chiropractors and they don't have to be motion palpation docs by any means. They can, they can be Gonstead guys or activator guys or motion palpation guys or whatever, but they have a, a certain certainty about them. Uh, Dr. Faye was a really good example of that, that they have a certainty about what they're doing. Now, sure. W- None of us get everybody better that we work on, but, you know, do you have a a confidence in your approach and do you have a passion for helping people and and learning and growing? One of the things that some of the guys that really struggle, they feel like they're salesmen when they, especially when they first start out. Like, I never feel like a salesman. I'm just telling people what I think is going on. I, I don't feel like I'm selling anything. I feel like I'm just telling them what I think they need to do. If they want to do it, great. I'm here to help. If they don't want to do it, well, Okay, that's fine. Um, if you want to try later or whatever, I'm I'll be around. So I'm real soft sell if I use that phrase, but I don't feel like I'm a salesman. I'm just simply telling people what they want. So this idea that I have this passion for this this profession and this conservative care is a big for me because I study a lot and talk to other smart people and work at it very diligently and take lots of classes and read lots of books. I have a certainty about what I'm doing, even though I'm not always right, but I do have a a confidence in what I'm doing. I've worked very hard to become good at my manual skills. Sure, I need to get better at certain things, but I am certainly have worked hard to get good at them. And so I have this focus, this single-mindedness of purpose, and I never feel like a salesman. So one of my big things of late, I go on these tangents with my teaching in MPI, and one of them recent has been doing that really good exam so you can categorize the patient um, and do the treatment that's going to get them better the fastest. In other words, if you do adjustments and you do 
soft tissue and you do rehab and you do nutrition and you do uh, MDT and you do, you know, whatever else, you don't necessarily have to do all those things on every patient on every visit. If someone is a stability case, you know, adjusting them forever and ever and ever is not going to help them as much as rehabbing them. If they have soft tissue lesions that need some kind of whatever your particular technique is, that's going to be the best thing. So, yeah, you might have to do two or three things with people, but you want to try and do that really good exam so you can narrow down uh, what you're going to do. And then the other thing that I'm really bent on now is uh, care plans, because especially the young docs coming out don't want to put people on a care plan. And you get the guy's 50 years old. He's had back pain for five years. I'm sorry, but in two visits, you're just three visits. You're just not going to you're not going to have any real change in his function. So he may say, oh, wow, that felt good. But, you know, you've got to do more than that to get him to be more stable going forward. So this idea of a great exam, put him in the right category, then you got to put him on a care plan. And that's where I, I think some of the guys balk because they feel like salesmen. And I repeat that I do not feel like a salesman. So backs up to this passion, this certainty. I have a certainty that my exam is going to get me in the right direction. And then I'm going to tell them what I think. And then we're going to do a clinical trial and see how we how we do. If we don't do well, I'll refer them out. I'll get other diagnostic testing. I'll get some help. That was a longer answer than you probably want. No, that's perfect. You know, and I and I think that's a big thing. I'm I think I was a few years into practice. I should should say a few years into my own practice where I can make those decisions and and having a treatment plan that they could get their mind around and and actually have a plan for it was a, one of the things I implemented that really helped change my practice and change my patient and change my patient outcomes, frankly. Oh, right. Yeah. I mean, if you're just about pain, I, that's fine. There's not, it's not that it's a bad thing, yeah. but you're not going to change function in two or three visits. So just be honest about it. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I'm not setting up six and 12 month treatment plans or anything, but right. it's a, right. it's a treatment plan. Just like if they went to physical therapy, they would get a treatment plan basically. Like, you know, you got to come orthopedic surgeon is going to write a treatment plan for your shoulder bursitis. <laughs> right. So I don't see why that's, that's an issue. And I think it does come down to what you're saying is that fear of being a salesman or the fear. Like I talked to chiropractors about what it takes to be a thriving chiropractor. And, and you may agree or disagree with this. And I'd love to hear your thoughts on it. But for me, I, it's four things. One is clinical, you know, skill set. Like that's, I think a big problem in a lot of chiropractors. They're just not focusing enough on that. Like you, you have to have that as a baseline, right. you know, right. you just do. If you were selling a car and it broke down all the time, like you're not going to sell a lot of cars. So you got to right. have the clinical skill set. That's just basically the price of entry. And then you have to have communication, right? Like your communication skills have to be good. And that's whether it's in your marketing or if you're out networking, public speaking, whatever it is, or if it's sitting there and talking and having a one-on-one conversation with that patient in front of you, if your communication is poor then you're going to struggle as as a clinician and as developing a, a business, frankly. And then the third is business acumen. And fourth is you do have to have marketing, whether you're doing it or someone's doing it. There has to be some a semblance of, of a marketing strategy. And I think that's what helps a thriving practice. Now, yeah, there's some just badass rock star chiropractors that get amazing results and it kind of feeds itself. But, you know, generally speaking, I feel like those are the keys to, to success on that. I think that's very well said. I mean, that nails it. That is perfect. And I couldn't agree more with that. That's spot on. And I think it makes for a really good question because, yeah, we, we all know the charismatic guy that could sell anything and, and is out there honestly selling a, a bad form of chiropractic but making a million dollars. We know We know those are out there. 
but that's not who we want and that's not what we want to be as a, as a profession. Um, so right. I think it's just being, you know, patient centered and having a thriving practice. If you can truly focus on those things, uh, that'll be helpful. Yeah, I think that's a great outline of what they do. And each one of those parts is really equally important. I think so. I mean, I was, for me, I felt really fortunate to run into motion palpation because it really honed in my clinical skills enough to be effective when I came out of school, right? Like right. year one was not great as far as my skill set, but right. it was, it was better than most. And then yeah, it's amazing how much better you are today than you were well, then, but, yeah. but you've continued to work at it. I mean, I know you've done a lot of, uh, for example, I know you've done a lot with ART over the years. And so you've, you've done the extra work to try and keep per- moving your skill set forward. That's, yeah. that's where it's at. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and, I've, and obviously motion palpation has been huge to that. I know we were down in Daytona one time teaching and playing some golf and breaking some windows. <laughs> that was fun. I'll never get to live that one down. <laughs> I still tell that story. Like you held the, the form on that follow through really good as that ball was going <laughs> through the window. <laughs> Oh man, Mark Hawkins reminds me of that every time I see him. Yeah, did that lady ever call you to? to oh pick? yeah, they called me and said, "Don't worry about it." Oh, I don't, you probably forgot that they said after I smashed her window, she said it was he actually called uh-huh. and said, "You know that that happens." And the golf course was here before this building was here, so don't uh-huh. worry about it. I was I was perfectly willing to write him a check right there and pay for his window, but he didn't. He that's, didn't seem to care. So. That's, that's how I knew you were a stand-up guy is when you rode over there to leave your number. <laughs> Well, and my game's gotten a little better since then. So uh, next time we're together, I'll, I'll hopefully I'll represent a little better. All right, perfect. <laughs> so, um, all right, I'm not going to take up too much of your time, but obviously we talked about some of the keys to success. And I know earlier in this podcast you mentioned a few things, but uh, what are a couple of the pitfalls that you're seeing with the chiropractors that they're running into that's kind of impeding their growth? Well, I mentioned that one is their fear of being a salesman, and, yeah. and so hence they have no care plans. Yep. So that's one. Brett Winchester has a great line about meet everybody in your town, mm-hmm. you know, whatever your town. You know, you try and meet everybody in your town and get involved in things that you're interested in. And one thing leads to another. I, I did martial arts for years, and I treated a ton of people from my martial arts school. And like you said, that part about marketing is one of your four areas. Yeah, you especially as a new practitioner, you've got to get out and about. And you've got to meet everybody. I think a big thing that people uh, could do to help their practices too, long-term, especially is MD letters. Um, when we get a new patient, we send a cover letter and a copy of our, our first-day soap notes. We have an electronic health record, so all we have to do is print it out and then print out a preformed uh, cover letter, and we mail it to the MD, whoever their family doc is or whoever the referring doc is. The docs appreciate it, so if nothing else, if the patient asks for an MD, I mean, asks for a DC, they'll say, yeah, there's... Dr. King down in Mount Lookout, I heard he doesn't, you know, kill people or something, whatever they say. I'm being silly, but that's a real soft referral. And a lot of them are like, yeah, because they come down here, they uh, refer a lot of their patients here. So for us, that's been a great thing. So not doing those letters, it takes a little bit of time to get your system down, but it, it's, it's, it's a pitfall. You got You have to avoid that, that, that ability to be con- consistently able to do that. I think you send thank you for referring letters. I think you send uh, email or uh, some form of a birthday card for your patients. There's little things that you can do that keep you in front of your patients and keep them thinking of you is what I'm trying to say. So when they have that next problem, they're coming back to you. But um, the pitfalls, like I say, there's just a few things there that I think that the average guy can do to really ramp up his practice. For example, you mentioned communication. If you're not good at communicating, 
you might find this hard to believe, but when I first started, I was terrified to do any public speaking. I mean, I do it all over the world now, but I was literally terrified. I went to the local Toastmasters, went to there and went there every, I forget what it was now, every Tuesday or whatever it was for a, a long time and got the fear out of me and got a bunch of practice, a bunch of nice people there helped me with it. So I got experience with giving talks in front of groups. I was just more willing to work out. I had this single mindedness, the purpose I mentioned before. I was going to make sure my practice grew up to be good and strong. And one last thing I did on that that I think is a pitfall is I went and met the big hitters in Cincinnati, the guys that had the biggest practices. I went and met them, went to lunch. Next thing you know, they had me fill in for them when they went out of town. So I was able to see what it was like to see a big pile of patients in a day and and feel that big practice. And, and it, that was a great learning experience for me. Yeah, there's a lot of gems in there, and I'm going to pick a few of them. But I think that's one you mentioned about you know treating a lot of patients early on. Some chiropractors are struggling; like they'll get seven in a day and feel tired. It's like you got got to get used to being able to see some some numbers, right? <laughs> you know, right. that was helpful for me. I was I was tired. I would see a bunch. I don't remember how many I would see, but let me say I would see forty in the day. I don't remember, but for me that was a ton. Yeah, at that time, especially, and I'd walked out of there kind of mentally and physically. Wow, I was tired. I was thrilled because, you know, I was just starting my practice. So it was a great way to get some experience. Yeah. I, I was telling a patient that yesterday because I had 33 yesterday on a, on a full day. And, you know, I do a lot of soft tissue. And and I was just telling them, I was like, yeah, honestly, the hardest part after a day like that is I'm more of an introvert by nature. But you have to be kind of on when you're in practice. It's like putting on a – for a lack of a better term, it's like putting on a show – and I have to have good conversation with 33 different personalities. And at the end of the day, it's like, I don't want to talk to anybody. <laughs> well, Kevin, I'm, I'm exactly the same. I, I'm actually an introverted person. And, and for me, and when I need a little bit of time just to either uh, space out or um, stare at a basketball game on TV or something, you know, some kind of chill time to let my brain calm down. Yeah, it's a, it's a big one for sure. And that's something that I try to work on. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so I, I want to... Thank you for your time. I, I really appreciate it. How could our audience that's listening, I, I know a lot of them are motion palpation docs, but uh, how could they look more into that and see if uh, they got some upcoming seminars for them? Okay, so uh, we keep our seminar uh, listing pretty up to date on the uh, motionpalpation.org website. And Motion Palpation has an, an Instagram page, and uh, Corey Campbell has a Facebook page for uh, Motion Palpation Institute. So we're doing classes all the time. I was just in Amsterdam and did a class, and I'm going to go down to, um, uh, well, I can't remember which city I'm going to next. Maybe it's St. Louis. Uh, no, I can't remember. Anyway, you, you bounce around and you get your yeah. schedule screwed up. But, yeah, I'm going to uh, oh, Dallas. That's where I'm going. There I'm going to go. be going to Dallas next. We're in lots of cities. Most of the cities have chiropractic schools, but not all of them. And if someone has an interest in having a, an MPI instructor with their state association or with their own private group, you know, they can reach out to me at Dr. M. King at mountlookoutchiro.com. I'm also on that uh, uh, motionpalpation.org website. I'm the one to contact about setting up classes and so on. So that's usually the easiest. Perfect. Yeah. And some of the audience that's out there listening are experienced doctors, but I think going to some of the adjusting courses you guys hold is just, it's an amazing experience to now, like when you get, for me, I went, went back and I had practiced for about five years the last time I went to an MPI seminar and I was a lot better at adjusting than I was, but then just get that refresher and some of the new palpations some of the new adjustments. It's really nice to, to get your hands on, on people in that setting. So, well, uh, what happens to you, Kevin, is that in practice you start to fall into 
you know, a little bit of habits and you get, I don't want to say you get sloppy, but you get a little bit sloppy and you maybe don't check the whatever, the CT junction as well as you should because you, whatever, you just got out of the habit. So it kind of recenters you a little bit about good ways to uh, be more thorough with your patients. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. And then the other thing that I've noticed if for the MPI docs out there that are listening is make sure that you're on their website. I'm getting reached by people because of that, um, whether it's potential patients, and I know you send some down my way, or if it's even I've had some preceptors that have come and shadowed and even one and became a, an employee of mine in the past. So it's something to consider as well. Well, what that, what, what, just for the people that would, uh, if you take the extremities class, the MPI spine class, and then two of the other, uh, either master series or functional classes, we list you. It's not a true certification because we don't test you. Yeah. But at least we know you've taken the time to go to at least four classes. And, and we, uh, you know, most of the people actually on our referral list, I know most of them, well over half of them. And uh, it's you do get referrals. I get emails every week for people in you know wh- whatever town. Uh, who do you know in Boca Raton, Florida? Well, I got, I got a guy. So you know you kind of can. It, it does. It helps build your practice. It does absolutely. So get on that list if you've taken those classes, and if you haven't, start doing them. They'll come to a city near you, right? That's for sure. <laughs> Perfect. I really want to thank your time. I, I really appreciate everything. Okay, great talking with you, Kevin. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Modern Chiropractic Marketing Show with Dr. Kevin Christie. Tune in next week for another episode that will enhance your marketing, business, and practice growth. Also, don't forget to subscribe to Dr. Christie's Modern Desk Jockey podcast and share it with your desk-sitting patients. In the Modern Desk Jockey, Dr. Christie provides health and wellness best practices from some of the leading experts in the corporate wellness industry. Remember, chiropractic practice isn't easy, but it shouldn't be overwhelming. Keep leveling up.